The Game Podcast is happy to announce that we are now sponsored by StarCityGames.com. And this weekend, SCG Tour stops in Louisville to play some Modern, where registration into the main event gets you a Spell Pierce playmat. If you can't make it out to the event, you can watch SCG Louisville on twitch.tv slash Tour. Cedric Phillips, Patrick Sullivan, Nick Miller, and the rest of the SCG Tour team will be bringing you all the action. everyone, welcome to the 47th episode of the Game Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Brian Gottlieb, and we are talking about more Ixalan stuff this week. I'm pretty excited. Uh, I was already working on a bunch of different shells and writing articles about it and whatnot, and they keep showing us sweet cards that fit into the decks that I wanted to build, so I'm ready. Yeah, more and more things uh, keep getting my brain churning. There's... Tools, basically every single deck that has uh, been a point of interest for me, I keep seeing more and more tools to add for it. And I, I was already like at the point where I thought the deck was viable. So uh, yeah, this, this spoiler season has uh, been consistently engaging throughout, and every day I have something new to think about. So it's been a really good one. Absolutely. Now, I, f- I feel exactly the same way. Uh, now I'm getting to the point where instead of like, oh, what is this dinosaur deck going to look like? It's like, oh, well, there are like three or four different dinosaur decks, you know? And I think that aspect of it is really cool. The, instead of just kind of like giving you a pre-con to, to build and play with for standard, they are very much just giving you a bunch of different tools and you can just, you know, design whatever deck using these sorts of things that you want to do, right? So if you want to play like late game dinos, you can. If you want to build like beatdown dinos, you can. And I really like that aspect of it. Yeah, it's nice to get that kind of creative range back, right? Like, I think for a long time, we've been kind of tunneling in on just, like, what's the overpowered idea? Like, there's there's been one thing above everything else in the last few sets that, you know, you're looking for the most optimal version of. Like, oh, this card is clearly broken. How do we maximize this? And that's kind of where all the brewing has started. Whereas in this set, I feel like there's a ton of different themes going on, a ton of different viable ideas, and it's kind of figuring out which of the flows are better like you said all these all these decks branch in different directions and you know we've been talking about things like uh last week we talked about jspace tempo decks i have like five shells for for jspace tempo decks right now and i have no clue which one is better so uh i'm super excited to you know see the whole picture and get playing yeah absolutely me too and nothing nothing really strikes me as overpowered right all these cards seem pretty good and i'm sure that it's inevitable that there's going to be a dominant strategy and, you know, hopefully it's not just like, oh, mono red is the dominant strategy, but like that could certainly be the thing. But yeah, it, it just looks like we have a lot of good options, which I think is awesome. Uh, I, I think that there's the right mix of not only good options and you're right that nothing has clearly stood out to me as this is better than everything else. This is the broken thing. But there's little points of interest where I'm like, well, if I figure out how to make this work, won't this just be better than everything else? And, and there's cards that like are incentivizing me to explore them to their fullest. Right. Um, and I, I think we're going to talk about some of them this week. So Yeah, absolutely. So the first card that I want to talk about, I think, is probably the one that has garnished the most attention. This is Growing Rights of Itlamok. I'm definitely not pronouncing that right, but... Uh, This is a 2G legendary enchantment uh, that transforms, and when this enters the battlefield, look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. And at the beginning of your end step, if you control four or more creatures, transform this. Transforms into a legendary land, which 
taps for green and also taps for green for each creature you control. So what do you what do you think about this card? Well, first generally, I'm going to acknowledge that I find this entire subset of cards very difficult to evaluate because we've never seen anything like them. Like this is this is not <laughs> these are not analogous to other double face cards. They're kind of like these bizarro half enchantment, half ramp spells. Uh, in some cases, like super ramp spells where you get access to, you know, three additional mana or, you know, in the case of Itlamok Cradle of the Sun, which who knows if I'm pronouncing that correctly. You know, you make it as much as six or seven mana the turn you uh, you do your transformation. My first instinct is that this card is is very good because the face mode is just fine. Like there's a lot of decks that are going to be interested in, in having that effect, obviously with the upside staple onto it is an important part of the picture. Um, but but the face mode is is really pretty good for green decks to have creature selection. You know, obviously green decks tend to be kind of creature intensive anyway, in most cases. I, I think that the front side of this is enough that I'm already interested. The question is, where am I maxing the back side of it? You know, if this was just a a couple sets ago, this card was included, you start to think about the you know, Duskwatch recruiter decks that were floating around and yes. those huge mana decks that, you know, all the, all the green, black, I'm blanking on the front, Westvale Abbey decks, all of those decks, and the Cryptolith Rites deck, this card would have been insane in those decks, like yeah. absolutely off the chain. And while I haven't yet identified that kind of insane home for it right now, the fact that I'm able to place it in that deck and recognize it as clearly broken means that this card is probably going to find a very powerful home at some point. Yeah, so I, I think that evaluating these cards is very difficult because it's like, if you just had the backside of the card, like, would you play Gaia's Cradle? It's like, well, I don't know what deck I would play that in now, but would you find a home for it? Would you build a new deck to utilize Gaia's Cradle? Yes, absolutely you would, right? Mm -hmm. So then how big of a hoop do you want to jump through to actually make that card happen? And I think it's pretty important to kind of think about like how relevant the front side is to the back side too. It's like, do, do these things fit in a strategy that actively wants both of them? And you mentioned like the Duskwatch Recruiter, Cryptolith Right deck. And yeah, absolutely. Like this card would go in that sort of deck. So can we utilize that? And like, what is the best thing that we can do with it once we do? I think the, the front side is a little expensive and that's probably what you're going to see on a lot of these things just because the back side is generally super powerful for a lot of these. I think that's okay. Paying three mana for what is sort of an Oath of Nyssa is a big ask, but I think you make make up for it in like three or four turns. So I, I think that's also okay. But it is it is worth noting that this is at the beginning of your end step. So you don't, like even once you like appease this thing, you don't even necessarily get to use it on the first turn, which gives like some counterplay to your opponent. Yep, very true. And, and that's why, you know, things like Duskwatch Recruiter, I think are going to be the key piece of this. One point that I, while I was brainstorming with this card and where it might find homes, um, if there is kind of a ultra creature he creature heavy kind of mana intensive deck floating around, it's something like black white anointed procession. That's the closest thing to kind of that type of archetype that is viable in in the current sets. And unfortunately, that deck generates a lot of its creature presence without using actual creatures. Uh, as it stands now, anyway. So you are prone to missing on your growing rights. I, th I think that's problematic. I think you need to hit growing rights. Like, you, you cannot yes. afford to just give up three mana to do nothing. Yep, absolutely. Um, so is there a world where the Anointed Procession deck warps a little bit and is, you know, less enchantment heavy and, and less, uh, you know, hidden stockpile based and more growing rights based? I think I could see that. I, I think that makes sense to me. 
I don't I don't have the answer for you right now. All I can say is that this card is very interesting, worth exploring, because, you know, we're talking about a card that has proven itself busted in Legacy, busted in many formats throughout the history of Magic in, in Gaia's Cradle, and we're getting a functionally identical version of that on the backside. So it, it's probably worth, it's going to be worth the hoops in the long run. Yeah, it's it's just a matter of, you know, like how, how much mana is it worth to actually get a Gaia's Cradle? And then what do you do with the mana? I think like Walking Ballista is a pretty easy answer for a lot of these decks because it works with both parts. But like the thing that I'm actually pretty excited about uh, is just Merfolk. Even if you listen to, like, the cast last week, it's like, okay, these Merfolk are, like, sort of aggressive, kind of doing things with, like, plus one, plus one counters, but they're all mana intensive, and it's just like, oh, man, like, a Gaia's Cradle would be hella good in that deck, and the front side is, like, actually good to find you the specific, like, bits and pieces that you want, right? So I think it fits there, and there are just a ton of mana sinks. I mean, there's Waker of the Wilds, which turns your lands into creatures... Uh, there's also the gold uncommon shapers of nature, which puts counters on your things and draws cards and stuff. But there's also, uh, Tashana voice of thunder, which is the seven drop mythic. And this is uh five UG star star power and toughness each equal to the number of cards in your hand. You have no maximum hand size. When this enters the battlefield, draw a card for each creature you control. Like that's a payoff. Yeah, that's a huge payoff. And you're exactly right that it does seem like the merfolk or the tribe that are built to abuse this this kind of massive mana production um, while getting value from the front side. You you already made the point. You listed all those great mana sinks, and I have a feeling there's there's probably more coming. Likely. Yeah, that, that does seem to be, like, we talked last week, well, what are the merfolk doing? Mm, this might have been a big piece of the puzzle, I think. Yeah, because you have the seven mana merfolk, right? And, like, this is their mythic, You're, and it's just like, how the hell do you get to that point? Well, now you know. I mean, it, it just looks like Merfolk are, like, there's likely going to be a beatdown Merfolk deck that's fine, but, like, Merfolks also just seem like the Elves tribe in this set. An- another point that I think it would behooves us to mention is we spent last week kind of bemoaning the lack of mana accelerants for our dinosaurs. Well, we have to play a lot of creatures here. We're going to have to play some smaller dinosaurs. Uh, but again, you know, we already talked about including Walking Ballista in that deck to trigger our Ripjaw Raptors. We now have a- another piece of the dino mana puzzle in uh, Ranging Raptors. Yes. Why don't we talk about Ranging Raptors a little bit, actually, while we've we've kind of crossed over? Well, let me um, let me talk about how good Whirler Virtuoso is with Gaius Cradle first. Okay, let's hear about that. No, that's it. That's the end. It's good. That's the end of the discussion. Yeah, it, it is. It is a favorable interaction for you. So yeah, Ranging Raptors. It just looked like we needed a card that was a bridge, and it was like, oh well, maybe maybe it's just Ripjaw Raptor. It's just like it's going to draw you like two or three cards a game, probably. But now Ranging Raptors, I think, is the thing that allows you to go more mid-range and like actually hit these eight drops. Because if you if you can trigger this thing multiple times, uh, this is the the two G two three that enrage you rampant growth. It has three toughness. Like that thing can get hit a few times and still live. So yeah, I think it's important to see what the removal looks like. Um, obviously, there there is a world where the removal lines up favorably against Raptors, and, and then it's going to be an underwhelming body. But, you know, situations where you get two lands out of this guy and have his his presence as, as a 2-3 are going to be absolutely game-breaking. And it's really not too hard to put those kind of situations together. I, d- I didn't mean to derail us from growing rights, but, you know, we're talking big mana, and here's our home. We're making these giant dinosaurs and uh, totally getting paid off on it. So Yeah, so, like, I mean, how do you, how do you u- utilize the cradle with dinosaurs, right? Like, it is difficult to go wide, I think, with, with this tribe, just because... 
most of the time you're you're just gonna like tap my five mana, play my five mana card, tap my six mana, play my six mana card, right? You you do have to find a way to actually go wide, and there are a lot of cheap like dinosaurs and dinosaur enabling type stuff, so it's entirely possible that you just bridge like early game aggression to late game Gashoth or whatever you want to do. Yeah, I think there's going to be lots of times where you're just kind of playing your game floating around six mana and, you know, you end up with four creatures in play and now you've ramped up to nine mana as opposed to, or ten mana as opposed to six mana and now you're in range of these huge beaters on the top end. Uh, not only Gashoth, but like Verdant Sun's Avatar. It, it's very plausible to me that you're just kind of floating in the mid-range a little bit. Things reach a stalemate where they can't attack into your 2-3 because they know they're giving you the lands that you need. Um, and you just kind of eventually find your pieces. I don't I don't know that it's like a four of. It's not what the deck is based around. I think it's probably more of a value card in the dino decks and not the center of the archetype. But I, I do see it finding a home in those decks as well as decks which will be just maximizing this card to its fullest potential. Yeah. I, I like the fact that it's like in most decks you're not going to get to use the the cradle immediately for value just because like what are you doing with a bunch of green mana at instant speed but i think walking ballista leads you down that path where it's like okay well this is going to transform into a land that makes four mana you get a free counter on the ballista you can trigger your enraged stuff extra or just like gun down their pirates their merfolk their vampires whatever and it, it gives me a reason to like play more ballistas in the deck which mm-hmm. maybe i didn't need already but it just felt like uh you know like there, there are no Ballista synergies, really, outside of, like, the dinosaurs. There's no way to give it, like, extra counters that are great unless you're, like, savage stomping. Yeah, well, we know that card's probably good enough for inclusion. It, it, is, it is good. It is just less good when it's not targeting a dinosaur. Except when you start thinking about all the synergies the rest of your deck has with Ballista. You know, that you're spending two, two additional mana for the Ballista counter, obviously. But you're also getting, what, another basic land, maybe? Another... You know, just draw a card off of uh, our good friend Ripjaw Raptor. So, you know, it, it's obviously that's not its intention, but I think it, it's better than it appears on its face. And you're yeah. more likely to find uses for it on a Ballista than you might think you would at first blush. Yeah, that's entirely possible. And with growing rights and commune with dinosaurs, like, you don't even have to play a, a lot of top-end stuff. And Walking Ballista is top-end that is masquerading as a low drop, you know? Mm-hmm. So you can play, like, some some Regisaur Alphas and, like, other five drops, but you probably just skip six and seven to, and just go straight to Gashoth, right? And you play, like, maybe two copies of it. You're going to find it by the time you have the mana to do that. And it just, like, opens up a whole world of possibilities for, like, this early game dinosaur deck to also have a late game. Yeah, just relying on your your mid mid-range card quality to kind of hold the fort, and then you have this... Trump that goes absolutely over the top of of the rest of the format. I could see that working and being a successful way to approach the dinosaur deck. Again, a million ways to approach this particular archetype too. So yeah, I mean, with all the cards we named, it's like our our deck is now approaching ninety cards. Yeah, so. that's that's the future of Magic. We, we've discussed that. You just play all the good cards and you'll do just fine. Yeah. Yep. Other dinosaur cards, seeing as how we're on the topic, uh, that I'm very excited about are Ryle. Ryle seems incredible to me. Yeah, I am a big fan of all cantrips. I mean, cantripping is is kind of, that's how I want to live my life. I'm all about that cantrip game. And we have two very, very ready targets for Ryle that we've talked about already in Ranging Raptor, as well as our Ripjaw Raptor. And Ripjaw Raptor loves to have Trample, too. Let's not get that twisted. Like, he's... I think that you're going to see a lot of situations where maybe Ryle brings your Ripjaw Raptor in range of a a lethal block, and you don't care because you're trading up like three damage 
and three cards for their you know one guy and your uh, your Ripjaw Raptor, and then you just are completely reloaded and can take over the game from there. So this is a card that's a little unassuming on its face. This is a constructed playable card. I'm positive this will see play. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's just one of those things where it's like, if you have an enraged dinosaur in play and you cast this, you are getting that effect, right? So it's like, this is our rampant growth draw card. Maybe deal them some damage because of trample or whatever. Make it so they can't jump block or our draw card, draw card. You know, it's like this, this card is going to be great. All these synergies bring it completely into the realm of bustedness very quickly. And, you know, it's a little bit of living in magical Christmas land, but that's what your deck is going to be based around. We keep talking about these snowball scenarios that the dinosaur deck is going to set up. And I, I think that's really what the deck is going to come down to. It's going to be a mid-rangey deck capable of generating a huge amount of card advantage with an awesome top end. Yeah. And in the meantime, I, I think, like, the red removal is arguably going to be the best i mean we have lightning strike harness lightning if you want it magma spray whatever like the, their mid game is also just excellent they have some of the best removal spells too so yeah this deck seems awesome to me i'm with you team dinosaur hell yeah what else we were looking for like enablers right so we we got the ranging raptors which is step one for more mid-range kind of rampy dinosaur deck but what about uh otapek otapek i don't know Huntmaster. this is one r one two Dinosaur spells you cast cost one less, and tap target dinosaur gains haste until end of turn. I'm interested, okay. but you're skeptical. But I'm skeptical. So why don't you give me a reason not to be skeptical? Do you think Otpek Huntmaster is the truth? I don't know. I think it's the it's going to be the truth in some decks because those decks didn't really have a good two mana card, and we were already thinking about playing like Druid of the Cowl. I mean, maybe you weren't, but I certainly was. So yeah, any sort of like two mana mana accelerator is. Very welcome, I think, because not only can you turn three Ripjaw Raptor, but you could also play Ranging Raptors into Ryle and get your Rampant Growth, draw your card, pass the turn, like, when they're tapped out. I think that's awesome. And tap to give target Dinosaur haste until end of turn is perfect. Yeah, haste should be very exciting on a lot of these big bodies. And also, you know, it's not implausible that this guy starts generating two mana in a turn, come turns like five and six. Yeah. I, I think that's totally possible. There's a lot of great cheap dinosaurs, too. Yeah. The more I think about this guy, the more I could see him finding a home. But again, we have a lot of dinosaur cards we want to play. And some we have to stop at some point. We can't just keep saying all these dinosaurs are great. We're going to play them all. Like, somewhere along the line, all right, we're, so, we're going to have to stop. So deck I'm thinking of is Huntmaster Ballista. I don't know if you want another two drop. Uh, spells would likely be some amount of Savage Stomps. Maybe not four, but entirely possible. Uh, some amount of Riles, same deal. Commune with Dinosaurs, I think, is awesome. Ranging Raptor, Ripjaw Raptor, uh, Regisaur Alpha, a couple of Gishoths, maybe an additional removal spell and, like, Lightning Strike. What was that, like like 46 cards? <clears throat> I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm writing my article tonight, so... So you're going to have to make the hard cuts as opposed to just saying cards that we really like, which is, that's where your bread's buttered, is figuring out the exact right mix. So. Okay, so so Drover of the Mighty is another one, which is the mana dork that gets bigger if you have a dinosaur. I think I like your guy better, the the red guy, when we're talking about mana sources, I, the hunt master. Maybe you play both. I don't know. Could be. Yeah, and then you have uh, some Cycle Land, some Ripbound Crags. I don't think you necessarily want the fake Cavern of Souls unclaimed territory. No, I'm not I'm not too into that card. Uh, I, I think the mana is going to be okay in these decks with access to the Cycling Lands and, and the M10 Lands. I, I think the two-color uh, allied pair is going to be just fine. Yeah, <clears throat> Commune with Dinosaurs and Drover of the Mighty both fix your mana too. 
Yep. And, and then uh, there's also the option to have like growing rights of it Lamoc. Yeah, it's hard for me to see totally passing on that card. Even if it's just a one-of, I, I think that's probably fine. It will prove its worth as even a one-of in that deck. Yeah, I don't think I want to jam four, but I'm definitely down uh, to start with two or three and see how that goes. Mm -hmm. See where they're at, yeah. And it's possible that just like cutting that, cutting Gashoth, and tightening up the mana base is just going to yield higher rewards. Who knows? Yeah, we have to really feel that kind of mid-range snowball type thing going on. We have to see our Ripjar Raptors just drawing us like six cards in a lot of spots, and that's all we really care about is maximizing them. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, there's a lot of powerful stuff here. I really just want to play games. Like, I'm usually very content, you know, kind of sitting at my computer and just brewing and thinking and, and trying to get a feel for the format that way. But right now I'm about games. Like I want to get games in because I want to feel these cards because they're they're very difficult to evaluate. A lot of them are very new. Right. And a lot of the time you can just draw on previous magic experience to just be like, okay, yeah, like if if just Ripjaw Raptor got added to the standard format, you would be able to slot that in. But it's like when that gets added in addition to, you know, 279 other cards, then... Mm -hmm. Especially these cards, they're all kind of weird. They're all all synergy based, and there's a rotation. And it's a big rotation too. Like this is definitely a set where, you know, for the first couple of weeks, you just need to like put your head down, and do some work. Yeah, and that's the other thing too is that all these concepts we're discussing in the abstract, they all sound very powerful. But what happens when they're up against the kind of brutal efficiency of mono red or the insane energy synergies derived from the teamer base? I don't know yet. I don't know the answer to that. On their face, they seem powerful enough to compete with those kind of ideas. But there's a reason those decks have kind of defined standard for, uh, in the case of the the energy package, you know, since basically it's release. Yep. I, I do think dinosaurs can hang the other tribes, which we'll talk about a little bit more. Uh, I'm less hopeful for, but again, like we haven't seen the entire set. We don't know what's going to happen. I'm eager to try for sure. But uh, dinos, they're just so many good cards. And... Like, green mid-range has basically always been good, and from the looks of things, I would imagine that this sort of strategy, like, the cards specifically, will hold up pretty well against, at the very least, teamer energy. Obviously, mono-red is a little bit more difficult, and mono-red gets to change their deck to adapt to dinosaurs, and I think that, you know, like, Carrie Zeb's expertise is one that is, is just going to be a card people play now. Yeah, and they should. It's obviously going to be very impactful in this format. The the other thing I would say is that, like, I don't think Wizards was ever going to make dinosaurs and not have them. I, I mean, I, they're careful. They're more careful now about, you know, the storyline focus and, and not pushing things too hard just because that's what people's eyes are drawn to. But you can't miss on dinosaurs, man. Dinosaurs need to be a part of Constructed. Oh, and, yeah. uh, we, you know, we didn't wait 24 years for dinosaurs to show up in Magic, you know, with the exception of things like Imperiosaur and Fungusaur, which has now been backdated to be a dinosaur. Yeah. Tyranid. Which is kind of weird. Yeah. They're going to hit standard without a doubt. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that that is probably one of the their their biggest, like, missions for this set. Because it's like, okay, Merfolk have been around. Like, Pirates have kind of been around. I think Vampires definitely have. I think Pirates and Dinosaurs are the ones that, if anything was specifically pushed, it was probably these. Because it's it'd be so disappointing, right? To be like, oh, this is the Pirate and Dinosaur set. And it's like, well, they're not good, but, you know, they're there. Have fun. Yeah, and and we're n we're not those players either, right? Like we're not the players who rely on the flavor to to sell us the product. But 
you know, Magic, I, I think, is mostly driven by the sales of those type of players. So you miss with them, there's going to be big problems. And, uh, you know, at kind of like the FNM level, dinosaurs have to be viable. Yep. They have to be. Yep. And gee, there's so many good cards. They're going to be. And I think they're, yep. they're going to have multiple different shells, too. Like Rampaging Ferocidon is a 2R, 3-3 menace. Players can't gain life. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield, this deals one damage to that creature's controller. So this is, like, obviously a very aggressive dinosaur that doesn't necessarily fit in the mid-range one, but I think that this could be telling that there is going to be support for a more aggressive dinosaur deck if you want it, and even if you look at the, like, the white dinosaur so far, there's the eight mana ETB Wrath non-dinos, and it's like, okay, cool, that's a thing you can do, but, like, Sky Terror is R-Dub 2-2 Flying Menace, Kinjali's Sunwing is the 2-Dub 2-3 Flyer, creatures your opponent's control enter the battlefield tap, like, these are aggressively costed, so if there's, like, a Boros dinosaurs that is just aggressive, I would not be surprised either. I was a little bit more skeptical than you are about this, just because, as I've talked about before, I, I think enemy color pairs have severe mana issues right now. It's very hard for me to envision kind of enemy two-color aggro decks working, but it wouldn't surprise me if maybe in set two of this block, that's the path we go down, where dinosaurs start mor morphing away from the the red-green big stuff into into red white obviously we can we can cross that bridge when we come to it um but i do think the card you mentioned whose name i've already forgotten the three drop rampaging ferocidon is an interesting card just in a broader context i think the design is really cool explain uh, just uh having like an aggressively costed thing that has the static ability that affects both players mm -hmm. like you know whenever another creature enters the battlefield this deals one damage to that creature's controller it's like this is potentially hate for, you know, some sort of go wide token deck, which I think is awesome. Basically, I had this discussion a while ago about three drops in, in Constructed Magic, like specifically in Standard and like what it takes for a three drop to be playable. I don't know if I ever talked to you about this. No, I don't think we've had this discussion. So think about like the last five years of Magic and like what three drops have made it into Constructed that didn't immediately have like an ETB or maybe like a dice trigger, just like something that gave you immediate value. Yeah, I the first ones that popped into my mind that have been defining creatures were Corsair of Crufix and Tireless Tracker. So, you know, ETB guys who gain immediate value, exactly like you're saying. Right. Uh, so there's the, the things that we came up with were like Brimaz, which basically didn't hit. Eldrazi Displacer, which is like you untap with it and its effect is so game breaking, which is kind of similar to like Knight of the Reliquary. But Knight is also just, like, maybe it's a 6-6 six, six or something when you play it. So, like, it, its value is just on raw stats, and maybe it blinks lightning bolts or whatever the common removal is. And then Anafenzo, which was also super good on raw stats, but blanked the, the various whip decks, you know? So, like, yeah. some amount of value. So, like, there's not a lot of those things that don't just sit and play and not really do anything. Like, this stops them from gaining life. It probably deals them damage like you pass the turn and they're going to take like one or two points if they don't remove this because they're going to have to play creatures right so i think this this mostly fits the mold for that that's interesting so you were kind of looking for three drop bodies that could affect the the game pretty much virtually through combat and pressure right as opposed to card advantage uh, either one i mean anything that that gives you some amount of value during the game and, okay. and maybe like value is not the right word it is it is just like interaction advantage i think where it's like you like how big would a three mana card have to be for it to see play right just like woolly thoughtar mist and granted there are like some some mana issues there right but it's like if they made like three mana four four would you just play it would you play it in all of your decks 
No, probably not. What if, what if it was easy to turn on like Fatal Push or, you know, there's like a lot of Chandra's and Glory Bringers and Cut Ribbons or whatever. So like the fifth toughness adds a lot of value because it actually blanks those cards. So it's just like three mana, four, four probably isn't going to cut it. Three mana, four, five might cut it. Maybe. So you need something else going on. And I, I think like this, this design fits that mold. That's cool. I always like to to talk design. It's definitely an interest of mine. And I know you, you know, you have some experience with it. So it's good to get your perspective on that kind of stuff. Just going back to raw card quality. Do you see this supplanting something like on crop crasher in the mono red deck? I think they accomplish different things. I think the crasher is mostly good in, in a burn deck. And this is good in like a big red deck. Michael Jacobs, U.S. Nationals deck from, like, 2009 or whatever. Do you remember this deck? It was, like, Dem- Oh, yeah. One of, that's one of my favorite red decks of okay, all time. Okay, so, like, Demigod Red, right? You had, like, Spread yep. and maybe Incinerate for spells. And then it, the rest of it was just, like, big, efficient creatures. Like, if it yeah. if it were a green or a black deck and, like, all the cards had roughly the same text, like, you would not be surprised. It wasn't, like, a normal red deck, right? Mm-hmm. I think the, the Ferocidon would fit in that sort of deck a little bit less than the current mono red decks, although the current mono red decks are also like moving a little bit more towards that. But that's what I was going to say is that the current mono red decks can kind of do both, right? They, they float through both of those roles to some extent. But part of the reason that the red deck is so good is that it can play aggro and like mid rangey beat down depending on, mm. on which lines up better and what matchup, right? I don't know. I, I think this card is good enough. I just think that the crasher is probably better for what the deck is trying to do, at least in game one. Interesting. But the, Very interesting. The, the, the deck could use like an extra three drop, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's Lannery Storm. Maybe you could, you know, treasure out a Glory Bringer or something. I don't know. Uh, I have, I have not really been sold on that card so far. I think that it's hard to imagine getting more than like one treasure out of it in most situations. Is that enough? I don't think so. Uh, it's, it's really good with Fatal Push. That's, that's a yeah. whole other thing, but treasures are like one of the few ways to actually turn on revolt now uh that is true treasures are are very interesting to me i had this discussion on uh my first strike podcast do you think that treasures were originally gold and then they realized the act the interaction with improvised and had to change them to treasure i think treasure is just more flavorful for pirates like really where where gold already exists you don't think gold fills that role just as well where it does a very a substantially similar thing like gold tokens are very very close to this effect minus the the pirates aren't all always after gold though man they're after any sort of treasure man they don't discriminate they don't care i understand what you're saying and if neither existed if gold was not a thing then I think treasure was the correct call. But with the pre-existing gold token being out there and it being so substantially similar to treasure, I mean, there has to be a reason why they they didn't go with gold beyond the fact that treasure is slightly, slightly, slightly more flavorful. And I think it has a lot to do with the tap clause. Well, here's the thing, right? Is like if if they didn't care whether it tapped or not, they would probably just have it not tap. So yeah, I mean, maybe it it had to do with improvise or maybe it was just like, no, this is like, this is cleaner. This is what we want it to do. Yeah, it could have been that they didn't like gold in the first place and, and they, they thought they had to fix it from that point. That's completely within the realm of possibility. I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting wrinkle. And it kind of, when I, when I was when we were discussing reasons they would have strayed from gold, that was the best one that I heard posited, was that they were looking to avoid improvise. They also have Ethereum cells, right? What, I'm not familiar with those. What, what set are those no, from? That's, that's uh, Tezzeret's jam. Oh, that's right. He makes the, the little mana things. Let me look this up. Uh, tap, sack this artifact, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. So effectively the same thing. It is just all flavor. Huh. 
I forgot that Ethereum cells existed. I don't think you can really blame me for that. That was not a widely played uh, Tezzeret that you saw very often. No, no, but, it's, uh, it's not your fault. I mean, I, I was testing for the Pro Tour, so I was trying all sorts of wacky stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. It's, yeah, strictly a flavor call. They could have... I mean, obviously, they weren't going to have pirates go around getting Ethereum cells. That would have been very strange. But... It would have been. But it's like Tezzeret could have been making gold, you know? Yeah, he could have been. I don't know. Whatever. We got way off topic. I think agro dinosaurs are good. I think Ferocidon's good. Yeah, and this is all part of our discussion of uh, the green double face card somehow that we've gotten to this point. So it's, we're, we're obviously very excited about this set if we can go that tangentially off track. Oh, yeah, we're, we're going deep. We're going deep. And that was talking about merfolk. So we got all the dinosaur stuff out of the way. So I wanted I wanted to start by talking about the transform cards. And yeah, we went a little things deep. Things got way out there. So anyway, I'm going to circle it all the way back to the transform cards. And we're going to talk about search... For Azkanta. Azkanta? Yeah, that's close enough for uh, me. I know what card you're talking about. One U, Legendary Enchantment. The beginning of your upkeep, look at the top card of your library. You may put it in your graveyard. Then if you have Threshold, seven or more cards in your graveyard, you may transform this. Transforms into a Legendary Land. It taps to add U to your mana pool. And you can pay two U and tap this to look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal a non-creature, non-land card from among them and put it into your hand. Uh, put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. So uh, this is a, a think tank for two mana. And then at some point, it just it transforms into a land. It just ramps you. Yeah. That is... Uh, it, it ramps you with a, a lot of additional power built into that it. That is awesome. There's a lot of blue decks that want this card. I don't think it's going to be a four of, especially because of the, the legendary clause, right? But uh, I, I do, I do um, think that this is a card that you play two of, for sure. In like blue-red control or whatever torrential gear hulk deck you're playing. Approach obviously loves this card yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, a deck that both wants to ramp and find its key card much faster. Yeah, and just like impulsing post approach is is excellent too. It's crazy, and this is this is a great great find for approach. You know, they might push to three copies. I think four is almost always going to be a stretch with uh, most of these cards. Uh, in fact, I'll say all of them with the possible exception of the white one. Yeah, I think this is a, a very clear inclusion. Getting value out of your lands for any blue base control deck has always been like the dream. And getting an impulse out of your land, it, like wow. It's sick. I'm, I'm also going to say that, I don't know if I was correct in doing so, but I played a legacy GP quite a while ago and I, I lost a Winland for top eight. So I, I did fine. But in my Miracles deck, I played a copy of Thassa, uh, Goddess of the Sea. And mostly what Thassa did was scry one. Occasionally, if I had like a counterbalance and adjacent play, it would attack for five. But the, the huge upside of it was the scry ability. And it was super, super impactful having that kind of card selection in a blue deck. Am I saying that this card moves back to Legacy? I don't think so. I mean, that's that's asking a lot. Any any blue card to be included in a legacy deck has a huge, huge barrier to get over. But uh, something like standstill type decks, I'm getting interested. I, I think it it does such a powerful thing once it's it's on, and and how easy it is to flip in legacy kind of speaks to its favor as well. And, and maybe modern to that extent too. You have all these fetch lands, all these cantrips. It's very easy to get this going in modern. You know, maybe this is kind of a missing piece for the blue base control decks in modern. Well, the blue base control decks in modern need to find impactful spells that they can get off this land to actually keep the game under control. And right now it's like all mana leaks and remands and stuff and 
things that don't really do that job very well. Obviously, you can go towards Logic Knot, but I think there's a little bit of dissynergy there, which... Yeah, there's pressure. May, maybe sure. it matters, maybe it doesn't, I don't know. But, yeah, I think for, like, any sort of control deck or... In Approach's case, like the combo control deck, I think it's really good. But I, I don't know. Like, going back to Modern Legacy, that seems like a stretch for me. But I, I do agree with you that Thassa in Miracles was at least playable. I, I had doubts myself even after doing it. But it was mostly playable. I, I will say it was good there. And, you know, this is doing some of the same stuff. Obviously, this is different from Scribe. But, yeah, I, I'm just with this card. I, I think this is going to see a ton of play. And could be kind of an impetus for a uh, blue base control uh, return to power. Because one thing we focused on a lot in the last format was blue base control kind of historically underperforming, even with a card as powerful as Torrential Gear Hulk. And we can talk about some synergies there too. You know, putting your instance into your graveyard for Torrential Gear Hulk to pick up later on, totally fine. You're very pleased with that. So yeah, this is checking a lot of boxes for blue base control. Yeah. I, I don't know if they're going to go out of their way to play like some, you know, seven mana instant to feed their torrential gear Hulk now because they have this or whatever. No, I don't think so. No, I, I think I think just the fact that it's like two mana, it like fixes your draws a little bit, which is it's not necessarily worth a card or the mana investment, but then it turns into a land and it ramps you. And then it's just it's kind of like a win condition. And I, I think that is just incredible. It's so powerful that you, yeah. you should at least try it for sure. Yep, I, I would Start with three copies in my blue decks and then have it, uh, you know, be proven that that's a over-the-top number and go down from there. But this is definitely one that I would start higher on than lower on, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it does change the play pattern for modern modern day, not modern format, like modern day blue-red control decks where they're cycling in the early game and it's like they're, they're just controlling the board until they had four mana, then they play a Glimmer or an Illumination. And it's just like, at what point do you really get to play this card? Maybe on turn five? or like turn six after you've kind of like stabilized on turn five, because that's the first turn that you really got to play two spells. Like it seems difficult, but uh, I do think it's doable. Giving up your sensor turn is scary because sensor is a lot of where they, they get a huge amount of value from and you're right. They're fixing draws in those early turns. So I, I do understand that pressure, but I think that search is going to prove worth it. You know, they, they have some tools, some new tools to navigate to the late game. I think the control decks were kind of more one-for-one one removal. When you move into search, you're a little bit more incentivized to look for sweepers, yeah. just ways to recoup, having lost the early turn. So these are small adjustments that the decks will have to make, and they certainly can make. There, There's options out there to go that route. So I, I think you'll see them do just fine, and the power level on the backside is, is going to be yeah, worth it. Yeah, I agree with that. Maybe, maybe you go more towards, like, Hour of Devastation, which is five damage, which cleans up Ripdraw Raptor, like... That that seems like a, a natural fit to me. Yep. And that's going to be an issue for all these decks anyway. So I think I think they'll be happy to go in that direction. Yep. Okay. So uh, next card, uh, we're going to move on to the artifacts. Dousing Dagger. Two mana equipment. When this enters the battlefield, target opponent creates two O2 green plant creature tokens with defenders. So this ETBs, your opponent gets two O2s. Equip creature gets plus two, plus one. When equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, you may transform this. Equip cost is two. Uh, so you're trying to get this thing through to hit your opponent, uh, but you're giving them two blockers, and this thing transforms into a land, uh, oddly enough, not legendary, that taps to add three mana of any one color to your mana pool. So you get a Lotus Veil for your trouble. So let's let's just talk about all the things this card is asking of you. You have to have a small early creature to put it on to maximize it in the early game. It has to be a creature that doesn't care about the fact that you just gave your opponent two O2s to block with. So probably an evasive creature, a flying creature. Even Menace isn't 
spectacular because they can just throw both tokens in yeah. front of it. And so you have to have gotten through those two hoops. And now after having had those type of cards in your deck, you have to have something that you want to get paid on the backside for. So something where you're you're satisfied with ramping up into a large amount of mana. This is asking a ton. It reminds me of a card that I believe was in Magic Origins. I think it was called Sword of the Animist. Do I have the card right? That's, where like if you hit with an equipment, you got a basic yeah. land? I think it was attack trigger rampant growth, but... Okay. So that's the card that it... it that springs to mind immediately. And when I first saw that card, I was excited about it. That card did absolutely nothing for its entire length of time in standard. was never even close to seeing play. And I'm kind of like, fool me once. That, that's enough. I'm off this train. I don't want anything to do with these kind of mana ramping equipments. Um, so I don't see it right now. I, I do acknowledge that it's powerful. If it finds a perfect home, it could be, you know, maybe there's an entire archetype based around it. But I'm having a hard time visualizing what that archetype looks like right now. So we were talking about this before the podcast and it's like, what the hell is this card doing? Because it's like all these random things and then you get this land that taps to Black Lotus and what are you going to do with that mana when you're trying to play like early creatures and equipment? And it's it's very similar, like the requirements are very similar to growing rights where it's just like, is this playable in Merfolk? Is this like another thing that you could do to actually like get over the the four, five, six mana benchmark, uh, get to the legendary like, huh? Merfolk, Merfolk doesn't have evasion from what I see. Yeah, that's the biggest problem, right? Is that you, you have to connect and all the Merfolks are, are ground-based and the, the one piece of evasion is the guy who makes your plus one, plus one. Counters uh, the guys with plus one. Yeah. Yep. I don't know, whatever. It's, it's like another thing that is asking you to play creatures and then do stuff with a bunch of mana, right? So this, this could just be like another walking ballista thing. Like all the cards just work well with walking ballista. I like I, I like how they're O2 plants too. So you can't even like gun them down with Ballista that easily. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. The first time I read this card, I thought you got the O2s and I was still like, uh, I don't know if this is playable. So that doesn't bode well for its playability um, now that I've read it properly. You're right that it, it feels like another Merfolk card. Now that we've kind of identified the path that we believe Merfolk to be going down, this does seem to squeeze into that kind of archetype where you have both early aggression and kind of this huge top end. It's just a bigger ask than growing rights. Yeah, a much bigger ask, I think. And uh, I don't see it right now. I'll I'll be happy to be proven wrong. But as of now, this card isn't doing it for me. I do think it goes well with a lot of the pirates because a lot of the pirates have evasion. But I don't know what pirates are doing with the mana. Exactly. There's no there's no top end there. I mean, I guess Vraska? you could do something with the... Uh, you could, you could, hmm. you could Vraska them. You could Hostage Taker and then immediately play their thing. Yeah, Hostage Shaker was the, the one big mana payout I can kind of think of, but even that's a little dicey. I don't know. There are some bigger pirates, but none of them... I, I don't read any of them, and I'm just like, oh, I have to figure out how to like jump through all the hoops to get here, you know? Yeah, like like the mythic menace pirate that we talked about a little bit last week. That guy's completely unimpressive. He's he's confirmed now. I, I still can't believe that's a mythic, actually. <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't see the big pirates uh, getting the job done here. Yeah, who knows? I mean, maybe it's like... Treasure, pirates, uh, this dagger is an artifact, so maybe you're playing the the Herald with Improvise, and maybe you're just hard casting it off the Lotus. I don't know, man. Jeez. Maybe. Uh, that, doesn't, that doesn't sound on par with the power level of the rest of the things that we've talked about. That's all I'll say no, about that. No, it really doesn't. It really doesn't. So, all right, we'll move on from there, okay? We'll, we'll come to the Thematic Compass, another two-mana artifact. Three taps, search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle your library. At the beginning of your end step, if you control seven or more lands, transform this. I hate these beginning of your end step things. I want to, I just, I 
I want it now. I finished my quest. Now I, I want to reap the reward. So it it becomes Spires of Araska. I think I, I might have nailed that one. And it's tap to add colorless or tap to maze of his something. Untap target attacking creature and opponent controls. Move it from combat. I guess you could maze your own creature, so it's not exactly the same thing. But Yeah, a little little bit different. But, you know, for, for most standard purposes, it's going to be a very similar card. I don't know yet on this one. And again, if I was to posit a home for it, the first instinct would be something like Approach, which benefits, again, from having a ramp spell, from hitting all of its land drops. But this is very mana intensive. I think this is for, like, the slowest of burn. This is the grindy control deck. This is, like, white-black mid-range nonsense, right? Where you just never win the game. A deck just kind of desperate for this long-term effect. Something like uh, Druidic Satchel used to be for those type of decks. Oh, yeah. Not that that card really ever crossed into the realm of format dominator, but the same type of deal where you're getting a lot of value out of your early artifact and, and trying to ride that to your late game. Yeah, I just, I, I need to see a home for this. There's a lot of cards that we talk about as good inclusions in Approach, but at some point you can't just put all these cards into Approach because what's leaving for them? Like the, the solid base of Approach was already there. I think Approach is a combo deck and you want to actually kill them. And I think that the other card did that, whereas this one doesn't. Yes, less so for sure. Yeah, and that's my problem with it. I'm over it. That's I'm with you. We, we can just move on. Cool. Uh, Primal Amulet, four mana artifact. Instants and sorceries you cast cost one less. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, put a charge counter on this. Then if there are four or more charge counters on it, you may remove those counters and transform it. Why do you have to remove the counters to transform it? Because you don't want the counters just floating around on the backside of it doing nothing. Oh, okay. It's not one of those like exile it and then transform it. Yeah, never mind. Yeah, because it, ju it just flips. Sure. Okay. So transforms into Primal Wellspring, tap... Add one mana of any color to your mana pool. When that mana is spent to cast an instant or sorcery spell, copy that spell and you may choose new targets for the copy. This card is gas. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's what uh, the Pyromancer's Goggles. Yeah. It's, it's like that, but supercharged. Dude, <laughs> it's this, like... this goes in your six mana enchantment deck, right? Yes, it does. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. And you mush those two cards together and I'm sure... Sunburn I don't even think you have to... Yeah, you don't even have to try hard at that point. Like, things are just going to get very broken very quickly. Hell yeah. Um, whatever you're doing is going to take over the game. Any cantrip, any... Just whatever is going to get out of control very quickly. And the tools are there for this deck to work. If we want to talk about a limiting factor, we can go back to a braid. That's still a very real card, and it will be very problematic for decks built around uh, this artifact. But we already have our B plan in the enchantment. Right. And... Uh, I like this. I think this is another archetype worth exploring. Another thing I'm excited about, the power level on this feels very, very high to me. I agree. Got to find the right mix of spells. And we, okay, we do have to Tormenting Voice, right? Is that true? We have one of them. One of one of the two uh, discard spells. Oh, Cathartic Reunion. We have that one. Okay, that's arguably the better one anyway. Yeah, in this, in this deck almost certainly. Yeah, okay. I'm ready to dino some folks. Uh, if you if you break Sunbird's Invocation and that artifact, let me know. We were talking a lot about kind of these combo control decks. And uh, in that context, there's another card I want to touch on that I don't think we've discussed. And that's Spell Swindle, which is the new mana drain. It's, it's three UU counter target <laughs> spell. Create X colorless treasure artifact tokens. X is that spell's converted mana cost. Look, man. Look, I know that they just reprinted mana drain, but this is not mana drain. 
No, it's better because you can make any color oh, of mana with the mana. Stop. Stop. <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't be interested in one of these in like approach or this deck we're talking about right now? No, I would for sure. Yeah, okay. I think it's it sets up those late turns so powerfully. Like if you play this on curve on turn five and hit their their five drop, you're so set up for your next turn. Yeah, you get to do some stuff. In these decks, which will maximize, you know, we're, we're talking about a deck that wants either, you know, six mana for Sunbirds or, you know, even seven mana approach. Now I have Counterspell backup with my approach. A lot of good stuff going on with Spell Swindle. It, you know, you can't put four in your deck. You're going to run into problems at that point. But I think this plays the role that these five mana Counterspells have always played. Uh, what was the one that investigated three times? Confirmed Suspicions. suspicions. Yeah, I, that was often a very reasonable one of. I see Spell Swindle right in the same spot. So it was a reasonable one of in bad decks because the bad deck needed that amount of power level. So it was like, yeah, this card is going to be really bad like 80% of the time, but the 20% it's like, oh, maybe you win the game because of it. So uh, I do think that Spell Swindle is reasonable because I'm thinking about like possible things that this could actually set up where it's like you swindle them. You untap, you get to like Hour of Devastation with Counterspell Backup or Approach with Counterspell Backup or whatever, right? And this also accelerates you to Nickel Bolus and the mm -hmm. the enchantment does that too. Search for Oscanta. So that's another thing where it's like, oh, this this could just be like Nickel Bolus territory. Yeah, I that's, that's exactly my point. I think that control decks are shaping to these kind of huge... Uh, just game-breaking bombs, like that's what they're about now. It, it's it's not as much, you know, grind-out card advantage. It's not like Sphinx's Rev where you just need inevitability and you'll just keep cycling and, and doing one for one because you have the card advantage to do so. It's more you're just trying to get in position to end the game very quickly with your 7 or 8 drop or maybe 6 drop now with Sunbirds. So I see Spell Swindle having a very reasonable place in those style of decks. It's not an all-star, it's not a 4 of, but it will see play. I'm with you. All right, tight. Next card, treasure map, two-man artifact, almost always. One, tap, scry one. Put a counter on this. Then if there are three or more counters on this, remove those counters, transform this, and create three treasures. Uh, those are tap, sack, lotus petals. The land is tap, add colorless steam mana pool, and tap, sack a treasure draw card. So, like, pretty low-ish investment, I think. And then yeah. this gives you a way to use treasures if you just want to cycle them instead of use them to cast Nickel Bolas or whatever. Yeah, I, I think I see two potential homes and that's in some kind of dedicated treasury type thing. I, I don't know exactly. I, I don't think those game those decks are relying on the enchantment, the game winning enchantment, but but maybe. I don't that's not completely outside the realm of possibility. But not to sound like a broken record, but when you're playing combo control decks, scrying is very good and ramping your mana is very good. And I, 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 I just think that there's a lot of things pointing us in the direction of setting up these kind of huge mana decks, the, these huge combo control decks. Um, and this is another one. It's a little w worse than the other options we talked about, certainly worse than something like Search. I think there's too many of these enablers now, and somewhere you have to draw the line. This one, the line will probably get drawn on. This reminds me of Kaladesh when there's, like, Inspiring Statuary and Paradoxical Outcome and, like, all these weirdo, like, enabler cards, and it's just like, I, I don't know. I'm just willing to let someone else figure it out. Treasure Map, I do think, is kind of interesting in that it is relatively cheap investment, and over time it is going to draw you three cards and maybe more. Uh, assuming you have ways to make additional treasures. And to that degree, I don't think it's like that bad of a sideboard card out of like mid-range against like a controlling deck. 
I could see that. It's interesting that these kind of mid-range decks have a, a lot of these style of cards, like these incremental value cards that they can turn to. And I think finding the best one for whatever the format looks like could be an interesting interesting debate. Yeah, it could be good. Uh, all right, so last one. And this is not really the same as the others. This is a vehicle. This is Conqueror's Galleon, four mana, 210 vehicle. Uh, when this attacks, exile it at end of combat, then return it to the battlefield transformed under your control. It has crew four. Becomes Conqueror's Foothold, land, tap, add colorless, two, tap, draw a card, then discard a card, four, tap, draw a card, six, tap, return target creature card from your graveyard. So I like to err on the side of optimism and, and looking for homes no, you don't. for these various cards. No, you don't. You, sure you I do. I'm, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about Sunbird's Invocation as, as being a f- the future pillar of standard. No, I, you're, you're right. I'm a skeptic, but where I see power potential, I'm willing to invest a lot of effort into that power potential to kind of draw it out. I see no power potential here. I, I'm, I can, we can move on from this card right now. I can't envision a deck that wants to play this. I don't even know if this is like a playable card in limited. Just not exciting to me. It, there's, there's, no, there's no deck I can see that wants this. Uh, I don't think I want Jame Day Tome on a land. Six tap Raise Dead is hella expensive. Uh, could be worth it depending on what you're getting back. But yeah, the the four mana investment, crew four is a lot. Crew four is the deal breaker for me. Like what kind of deck wants to crew four for a 210 and then still wants that land on the backside? I, I don't really know what that looks like. Yeah, we never know what it looks like. I mean, you have to figure it out, right? Like that's your job or my job. All of our I, jobs. I suppose it is, but some problems are not meant to be answered. They're just there to be problems. I agree. This feels like that kind of card. I agree. I mean, this seems like a card that does not fit into like the, the paradigm of modern day magic. Like, you can't sit around and like Jame Day Tome anymore, you know? You just can't do it. That's a very good way of expressing it. This feels like an older card. Like if if crew was around in like Tempest Block, this card would make a lot of sense, but uh in, in modern magic, I've I have I don't see it. I don't see a home for it. Oh man, two ten. I guess it I, it could be a reasonable blocker. I don't know. You play it with Doran or something, and then you can't even crew it. There's there's no use for this card. I give up. <laughs> That's it. I'm out. Okay, uh, let's let's switch over to non basic lands. Uh, we have Field of Ruin. Taps add colorless, and is two taps sack this. Destroy target non-basic land your opponent controls. Each player may search his or her library for a basic land card, put it on the battlefield of the library. So, Ghost Quarter, both of us? Is that good? I think it's playable. I think if there is a non-basic land that you want to kill, you should be able to do that and find a card and put it in your deck that would allow you to do that, and this card does that. So, so It also fixes your mana. Yeah, at, at a very steep cost, and like, yeah. potentially fixes theirs too, or whatever. I don't know. It's like... Are there, are there lands out there right now? And again, like we're mostly thinking standard, right? Is is there a land in standard right now that you're just like, man, I just need to blow that up? Maybe some of these legendary lands. Yeah, we just talked about a, a whole bunch of new lands that are coming around. You know, the backside of, of Search for Azkanta will certainly take over games if left unchecked uh, out of the blue decks. So. Yeah, so then blue mirrors might involve boarding into Field of Ruins. I don't know. Mm, that seems plausible to me. Yeah, this is this is an interesting version of this effect. Um, I think these effects often require you to play them to really understand them. Two mana is probably, you know, modern is the format that really wants these effects. Two mana is probably too much there. Yeah, you just, you ghost quarter attack edge instead of this. 
Yeah, even Tech Edge, sometimes I, I am just apt to play Ghost Quarter in most situations because the one mana investment is just too impactful in Modern. Yeah. Um, obviously, it has its place, but this card seems a little too expensive there. But I think we found its purpose. There's a lot of powerful legendary lands floating around now, and this is a, a clean answer. Yep. All right, so we are we're at the hour mark, and we have so much left to talk about. That's crazy. I, you know... It, this set continues to inspire a good discussion, and we're about 50% of the way through. Now, obviously, we are kind of front-loaded as far as our, our rares, but there's more stuff to come, and I, I have a feeling there's going to be more interesting stuff to come because the, the hits keep coming with this set. Yeah, they so. really do. I, I don't even know what it would take for me to just be like, oh, they really slowed down. Just like a bunch of four-mana two-twos or something. No, because I'm I'm interested to see I'm interested to see the pieces that are filling in the gaps too. Even oh, as far as limited goes, I want to know how how these archetypes are going to play out in limited. So, yeah, this is uh this sets a home run for me. I, I'm I'm not going to spend every week gushing, but I'm willing to spend one more week gushing. Keep them coming. I'm into the set. All right, so quick hits. Uh, Vraska Relic Seeker. I'm not even going to bother reading this. Uh, thumbs up or thumbs down? Uh, instinct is thumbs down. But there have been decks in the past that would have played this card. I don't see them existing in the current standard, but it's possible. For me, this is thumbs down because it's six mana and has a very low impact. Uh, and then I think we have the first vampire card that I liked, which is Legion's Landing. I'm into this card. I don't know it's home yet, but this is the the cheapest of the, the flip lands. You know, it, it ramps very easily. I was talking with my friend uh, Matt Ferrando about a white-blue base flyers deck with things like ornithopter even and favorable winds and it flips this very effectively the problem there is that flipping this is only okay but it's very easy to turn on i think you get a good amount of value out of it i don't know the optimal home yet yeah no it just seems like a nice little value add for vampire beatdowns and uh i am down with that they they needed something cheap this is not super aggressive or anything but i think it plays yeah, we still need to see a lot out of the vampires, though. They are lagging well behind the other tribes at this point. Yeah, and white is the color that has had the fewest uh, amount of cards previewed, so that kind of makes sure. sense. Yep. All right, uh, next week, presumably, we will be getting more and more cool previews. Uh, I'm sure there's still even like some stuff on this list that we haven't really talked about. But yeah, no matter what, uh, next week, we're going to be talking Ixalan, mostly standard, and maybe have, like, uh, you know... I, I might have some games under my belt at that point. We'll see. But yeah, I, I could see myself having a few games. We're getting I, to that time where it's close. Yeah, uh, we can we can build decks at this point, so that's good. And mm -hmm. at the very least, I will have like some shells of decks that I like. So look out for that. That's game. Good luck.